I guess I guess we could just like say or just have like a standard intro and outro. Yeah. Yeah. Super standard. Super <laughs> super standard. <laughs> this is a super standard intro. Hello everyone. <laughs> My name's Sarah Bartek. <laughs> and I'm Rebecca Nisco. Welcome to the podcast Imperfect. Uh, today we're talking to one of my best friends. His name is Martin Blanco. He's a photographer, cinematographer, and a director currently based in Minneapolis, but also out of New York. Um, I just, yeah, I hope you enjoy. I think it was a lot of fun to talk to Martin and get his insight in how he works and sort of the themes he operates in. And I would highly, highly suggest that when you're listening to this, Go ahead and either look at his Instagram, which is Martin underscore A underscore Blanco, or his website, Martin Blanco Films, as like an accompanying piece while you're listening, right? Yeah, absolutely. Martin is a super cool person, and I thought his interview was so great. I learned so much, and he's just a very wise person, I think. <laughs> cool. I think that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well... Without, no, I'm not going to say that <laughs> further ado. We can't. We need to, we need to find like a different like. Um, without further ado, synonyms. <laughs> we should start. Oh my God. Without further ado, synonyms. <laughs> without further. Rebecca and I are really desperate here. <laughs> without further ado. We're trying to move away from sounding Shakespearean. <laughs> Quickly. Expeditiously. <laughs> With haste. Um, before the ink is dry on the page. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before the, right on on this podcast. Before before the uh, audio wave has been recorded. <laughs> um. Before you can say Jack Robinson. Before you can say knife, chop, chop, here is my <laughs> maybe, maybe we should Maybe we should say before you can say action, lights, and ca- wait, camera, lights, <laughs> action, which no one ever says, by the way. But yeah. before you can say lights, camera, action, lights, camera, action. As you can tell, we're so very sorry. serious here. We're very, like, proper. Everything is... I'm really sorry. <laughs> you have to read I'll just get it out of the way first. Our transitions always suck, and we're all about having fun and no stress, so... That's fine. Cool. I'm not stressed at all. And I always incorporate <laughs> one cheesy moment per interview, so... Amazing. <laughs> so we, we have a little checklist. Too seriously. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, okay, so welcome, welcome. We would like you to start by introducing yourself, say uh, your name, where you're from, and what you do. Cool. Yeah. My name is Martin Blanco. I am originally from Maracaibo, Venezuela, uh, but I am currently based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and sometimes, you know, a good day out of New York City. And then I am a filmmaker, a photographer, and a creative director. Yay. Only good days in New York. No bad days. (laughs) No bad days in New York. (laughs) No, um, no January with winter shut down. Yeah. New York. <laughs> Never. If anyone knows anything about the New York film scene, you know that like 98% of the people that work in film are gone from December 12th through Jan, no, maybe through February, like 
12th or 15th absolutely just yeah. outdoor shoots are impossible yeah and it's just the weather sucks um well i say that being from minneapolis which we've shot in negative 40 celsius so <laughs> but that's like a whole other world that doesn't count celsius your... yes yeah, celsius <laughs> i don't i don't do fahrenheit <laughs> damn i still don't do but... celsius and i've been in london for two years <laughs> Well, here's the fun part. When it's negative 40, it's so cold that Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same thing. Please do keep <laughs> me in check because I will quickly derail the conversation into dumb things. So. No, oh my God, never never dumb things. All interesting things. Sometimes ridiculous things. So Ridiculous things always. Ridiculous things always. So our first question is sort of at the beginning. What came first? It's sort of, I guess, like a chicken and the egg, but what came first for you? Was it photography? Was it film? Yeah. Um, I think... You know, in a way it was both and in a way it was neither. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't start actually making scripted films until I was a sophomore in high school. How I really started was in early middle school. I was making little YouTube skits with some friends. So it was more about kind of putting a story together, but not really having an intention other than really being funny. And then going alongside that, um, I was really into skateboarding for most of middle school and a good chunk of high school. Um, and a huge portion of skate culture is just making skate videos. Mm -hmm. So uh, that really taught me how to run around with the camera and then think about how to put an engaging edit together. So those were kind of what got me into video. And then at the same time, I've always really been interested in photography. So I would often like whenever I had like a party with friends or something buy some of those single use uh, disposable cameras mm -hmm. and I would just take photos that way. And I would also try as much as I can to like steal my mom's uh, DSLR, which, you know, <laughs> it was like a rebel camera. So it wasn't anything great, but it was better than trying to shoot with like an iPod touch or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, oh humble gosh. beginnings, of course, but as much, you know, the, the motto has been to do the most that you can with what you can or with what you have, I guess. Yeah, that was really how I got started. That's so cool. Can we see those YouTube videos? <laughs> Are they anywhere? Um, yeah, so the next step was, was fun. It was just going full on like kind of vlogger approach. Uh -huh. uh, oh my it god! Really like me ever talking? No, because I would never do that. Like you know, <laughs> me, I just don't like making myself the center of attention. Uh, <laughs> but it was more just like I've always really enjoyed running around with a camera and mm -hmm. just shooting things for the sake of shooting things. So I can share those with you if you want. But I have like from the summer of freshman after freshman year of high school, I made like an edit of all the fun things that we did that summer. And then I think it was the following year or maybe it was before that, that my family and I, that was one of the last few trips we did to Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And we had gone to this island in the Caribbean called Curaçao. So it was a combination of like shots from the trip and just like a lot of environmental things and just like not really staged stuff, just more just like whatever I got was what I got and just creating little fun edits out of that um, to kind of highlight, recap those moments um, was what I, I think just taught me a lot of editing and shooting skills. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cute. I feel like, I don't know. I, I, is it it's cute? A, it is cute. <laughs> You're like, yes, if I do say so myself, it's cute. <laughs> I'm adorable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that's so special to have, like, especially from your friends and from your family. Like, so, so then how did you transition into making more narrative stuff? Was that in high school as well? Or did that come later? Uh, it came in high school, actually. I, Late into my freshman year, I found out that my high school had a young filmmakers club. Okay. Um, and the whole point of the club was that 
um, you know, during the year, we had this thing that's called zero hour. And what it really is, is every Wednesday, the school day starts like 30 minutes later. So that in those extra 30 minutes in the beginning, um, students just meet and go to their respective clubs or activities or what have you. So every single Wednesday we'd meet and we would just chat about films and different strategies Mm -hmm. to make films and things like that. And at the end of the year in like end of May, I think it was, they had a film festival. It was called the Golden Waffle Iron Film Festival, which (laughs) you literally, if you were the best picture of that year, they had a waffle iron that had been painted gold um, and then you would get to have it for the year. So I remember it was really funny. I think it was my sophomore year. It was the first year that I actually participated and made a film for it. My, I remember the guy who had won it the year before because he was just like that graduation class is like class clown. I think he was even like the mascot for the school. Oh my God, uh, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> that's random. But he showed up with the thing like handcuffed to his wrist. And I'm like, are you serious? Yes. Oh my god! Um, and that thing has been around since they have done the festival, wow. which is I think now on its like eleventh, twelfth year. So oh, I yeah. honestly can't fathom making some waffles on that because <laughs> a lot of people have used it over the years. But the yeah, the fun thing is that on the back it has like everybody's name and the year that they won. So it's a it's a cute little relic. But that's how that's how I think I was really inclined to to start making films when I joined the club my sophomore year and Um, and your name is on the back of the waffle iron uh well here's the fun part I actually never won best picture so it's it's a it's a little fun fun story but maybe maybe we'll bring that story out well okay but you just won best in fest at the Minneapolis International Film Festival so do you want to talk about that for in passing actually maybe we should start with what in passing is about and then continue on yeah, give us For a little sure. synopsis. Yes, so I am a recent graduate of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts uh, for film and TV production, which sounds very pretentious, and I promise it is not. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is scum of the earth. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I actually just watched the Chris Fleming uh, NYU awesome. video yesterday for the first time in a very long time. And if you haven't seen it, please go check it out. Let's go to Urban. Do I go to NYU it's, Urban? The, the um, only thing is also like, there is just one urban that Chris Fleming is referring to. And it's crazy that everyone at NYU knows exactly which urban outfitters it is. And I wish oh, yeah, I was joking. Second half. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like um, if you know, you know, and that's because you got alcohol at Atme's, which is right next door. <laughs> um, anyways. Oh, wow. Going it's back true. to Sounds this fun. film. Yeah. <laughs> back to college years. Uh, going back to this film. So it's actually very different uh, from the films that I made in high school. I think the films that are made in high school are a lot more about world building and about just kind of having ridiculous stories. And I'm slowly kind of trying to transition back into that Mm -hmm. uh, rather than a little bit more of the grounded storytelling that I've been working on. But this film was the film that I made as part of my thesis. Uh, It was my graduation film, uh, which Kara actually produced. And it is a lovely little uh, moment in time kind of piece between these two uh, Venezuelan American sisters who immigrated to this country at a very young age Mm -hmm. and have drifted apart over the years because of different ideologies of how they wanted to be once they arrived in this country. One of them, which is the one that sort of distanced herself from her family, wanted to more so lead her own path uh, and kind of lived a more like assimilated life whereas the other one wanted to remain true to her roots really stay close to her community and kind of fall into a little bit more of the conservative habits of of 
Venezuelan culture. So it's about them having this moment, this final showdown, if you will, um, <laughs> after not having talked to each other for a very, very long time and spilling a little bit of this inner battle that I think a lot of immigrants face when they have to, um, you know, decide what, how they're going to navigate being part of this country now. I know it's still in the festival run. Obviously, I know that because I know about, about the behind the scenes, but uh, I no, can't wait about it. for I can't wait to share it with everyone like online, which is going to happen like in a year or so, yeah. right? A couple months. Yeah, couple I months? think so. Okay. It's a it's a beautiful film. Like thank you. I, I was so touched when I when I saw it when Kara showed it to me. I think we were in my kitchen or something. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's also like beautifully shot like everything about it is just gorgeous and i can't wait for everyone to see it and congratulations on all the success it's brought you thank you, you so much it's, yeah i, I gotta I shout out beautiful <laughs> my my great friend uh jesse bronze uh gosh i'm so sorry jesse i almost mispronounced your name uh jesse bronstein <laughs> yes i think that is his last name we love jesse i love Jesse's that man great. but i have not seen him in a very long time so yeah. shout out to jesse for being a real one yeah for sure yeah, it was, it was a really, what was so crazy about that set, talking from a producer's standpoint, was just that it was so, we were so, I think compared to other thesis films that were being made at the time, we were so minimal in, in size and scope, and we literally, we like reverted it at NYU, the sophomore level production classes are called sight and sound and they're supposed to be like super low stakes like you make a ton of films and just a group together like a four people and you rotate your roles and it was really like kind of reminiscent of that time just everyone had a little bit more had more experience and stuff like that and it was just really I can't we shot that movie in like eight hours total over the course of three days or something like it really wasn't that long seriously yeah or maybe yeah, maybe, so- yeah it was like no time I can I can I can dive into it a little bit. Yeah, please. Um, there's nothing more fun than shooting a film in the East River Park, which has no way to be accessed by uh, <laughs> car. There literally is no way for you to get to the place where we were shooting with cars. So what that meant is we needed to have a landing spot on the other side of FDR, and then find a way to get all of our gear to the park. Um, and that's how that, that was really fun. Uh, you know, a little morning wake up exercise where it showed up sharp <laughs> at 7 a.m. because uh, Jesse and I were on the same page that we didn't want to shoot past like 1130 noon. Mm-hmm. And that was because um, the film just needed nice lighting, you know, and, and having to depend on outdoor uh, shooting times. You have to think about how the sun is moving, what that's going to do for your continuity. Uh, if this is supposed to feel like a single continuous moment, right? If the sun is now casting different kinds of shadows, it kind of pulls you out of that moment. So that that was something why we chose to divide this like eight page script over three different days was so we can have that consistency consistency of feeling. And even then we had different challenges. Like we you know on the second day we ended up reshooting something that we shot the first day. And then on the third day, I think we also had to reshoot something that we shot the second day. So there's things that happen. Um, but everybody, as Kara was saying, was so flexible and it was the best crew that I've ever had uh, simply because of how nimble and efficient everybody was. I, I think you go into your junior year film uh, having gotten out of sight and sound like Kara described out of having four people in a crew and you're like, I need to have everybody on set. Like the more hands that I have, the more the better of a set that it's going to be. Uh, and I had a little bit of experience in my junior year film that made me 
believe that that just actually wasn't true. The best kind of sets are actually the sets where everybody is working at 110% to fill in for that one or two people that are missing. So that just means you got everybody on their toes and everybody's making it happen. And, you know, when you have this challenge of like having to combat sunlight, you have so much time till you go in and, and out to, to actually get the shots that you need. So that was really, really awesome. And yeah, I just, I felt really lucky because Jesse is a great friend of mine. Jesse was the cinematographer. So we actually went to set, I think, to the location one or two days before and actually walked around with one of his cameras and just were able to really pre-block everything. Um, and that saved a lot of time on the actual, not only on the shooting time, but also thinking about what the shots meant um, and thinking about, you know, how is the story going to unfold visually? Um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was really awesome. I'm so glad you went into all of that because I don't think people understand how much goes in to mm -hmm. shooting a film, like, especially before the shoot. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, I, like just listening to Kara too, do, like, you know, hearing from her producing work and everything. I, it was really eye-opening for me. And I feel like I, you know, I do kind of know a bit about film as a composer, but it, it's, it's completely eye-opening to it's not a one-person project, obviously. <laughs> it, could, it could never be. But uh, I'm really glad you kind of dove into that a little bit, you know, scouting and even picking the time of day because I don't think people consider all of this when they're consuming film, how yeah, much you have work to... and how much thought and preparation goes into it. Yeah, I mean, you have to, to really... That's the fun thing about shooting outside, right? It's like you have to think of like where, what are the stars like today? <laughs> and then, and like, yeah. even, you know, that's and that's during the day. It's like when you at nighttime, it's kind of a similar thing. It's just like where, what angle is my moon, right? Like where, like you're still not getting as much light as you are during the day, but you're still kind of having to combat that natural feeling. So you just have to think about all these different factors that are going to affect what is going to be inside your shot. And, you know, a lot of people like to work in different ways. A lot of people just say, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to figure it out. And that's going to be the film. And that's okay. You know, that's a process. Uh, but as Kara will note, I am very much a perfectionist. And I like to have a lot of information in advance, a lot of prep in advance um, to be able to just do everything uh, to the best that we can. And the best part about having preps, prep in advance, and Kara and I were actually just talking about this yesterday, yeah. was that then you come out the other side and you have instinctually done a lot of things that speak to the core of what the work is about, but you, it's almost like it's second nature. Like that, that, there was no intention to really do that precisely in that form. But when you step back, you're like, oh, wow, there's like seven layers of meaning in this single shot that I was not thinking at all. I was just thinking about getting the performers and, you know, getting a pretty frame. And then now I've walked out and there's like so many, so many visual metaphors happening that it just becomes really fun. Do you think that having time away from the work is important or do you prefer to just like in terms of post or do you prefer to dive in right away and start editing? Um, <laughs> I think it depends. I think it depends on the project. I think that you will always mm -hmm. learn more about yourself, about your process, about what you make if you have a little bit of space between the different instances of mm -hmm. creation mm -hmm. and filmmaking as we know is, there's a beautiful quote that it says you make a film three times right you make it when you write it when you shoot it and when you edit it um so those I are three that. different massive instances that you really are redefining what this film is and what it can be yeah. um and i think between each of those times like you want to take a little bit of a break to give yourself a little bit of uh let's get fancy tabula rasa blank canvas kind of feel yeah um, but <laughs> 
but also um, not enough space that you lose the momentum of what you're doing. Because I have also had it where I've carved too much space between projects and that mm-hmm. just makes me lose the energy, the passion, the drive to really push the thing out. Um, and yeah. then you have to find new ways that really kind of anchor you back into it. Yeah. So it's, it's this balance, right, of like giving yourself perspective. And I think where I see that more is actually not so much in filmmaking, but in photography, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by shooting film photography. It's like mm-hmm. it's built into the process that there has to be space between when you shoot it to when you actually even get to see what it is that you shot. Yeah. Um, and we had a little bit of a project that kind of was like that. A little bit yeah, well, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> I am really excited about that project, can I just say? The project, quote the project. unquote. project. Um, Redacted, as uh, my friend Danny would yeah. say. Uh, yeah, film, so film project. These three, you know, stages of film that you described, like how do you know when you're done like, is it, are you just like, okay, I can't do anything else to it anymore that's gonna, you know, make it better or make it worse, so I'm done, or is it, you know, is it more methodical? I mean, or do you just hate yourself so much at the end? Yeah, (laughs) I think it's like, it is an endurance race in all senses of the word, Mm -hmm. uh, especially Mm -hmm. when it's an independent film, right? Like, it's, it's easy to make a film for me, um, when it's for someone else under someone else's timeline. So for example, like if you, I'm making a music video or I'm making a commercial or I'm making a doc, usually, like usually I make like branded docs. So like stuff like that, when it, there is a deadline for when it needs to go out, you don't really have time to really kind of dwell. You just have to meet that deadline because they're paying you to meet that deadline. Uh, and if you don't, that's bad, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but if, if it's a self-driven film, I think the, the parts where I struggle the most with those is writing and editing, because those are the really the two places where you can continue shaping and refining as long as you possibly want until you have reached that, I think, that either point of exhaustion or point of just like, this is it, nobody touched it, nobody talked to me. And I think part of being an artist is, you know, seeking out advice, seeking out responses from people to the work, whether it's written form or in you know, a cut that you're working on, mm-hmm. but then also reaching a point where you say, okay, I've, I've had enough of feedback. Like I know what I'm setting out to do and it's doing that. So even if people agree or don't agree, it's, it's at the point where it needs to be. And I just need to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Personal projects. I mean, we love <laughs> to hate them. <laughs> Personal projects are awesome. They're, they're, I think, I think the biggest thing right now, you know, being a, being an adult, right. Is uh, the good old does this, is this going to make me money? And like, is that mm-hmm. the thing that I'm going to qualify as a reason to whether I should make this. Right. Um, yeah. Because because especially as like a an independent filmmaker wanting to break more into a consistent like music video commercial world, in a way, a lot of the things that I make are targeted at like this gap that I see in my portfolio that could perhaps, you know, help me get something else. But at the same time, you know, these last two films have very much not been films about trying to get me more work. Rather, it's been films about, you know, something that I feel like I have to say or that I want to realize visually and emotionally. Um, so it's this balance, at least on that end of, is this something that could potentially turn into money or is it just something that I just need to throw mm-hmm. out into the void and see and see who, who slaps it back? Yeah, <laughs> so it's and also to clarify, Mark hard speaking balance. about his other student film that he's finishing currently called, uh, can I say what it's called? 
Yeah, you can say what it's called. It's called Nikki. It's a great film. I think it's great. Uh, I have the privilege of seeing it so many times, <laughs> but it's not, it's yes. almost done. It's not quite complete yet, but that was the other film you were referring to. Yeah. Correct. Great. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're officially picture locked, which is really, really exciting. Yay. Uh, the next steps are, yeah, just some audio and color work. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's, a film that very much doesn't have necessarily a commercial mm-hmm. place, um, but I think it has a lot to say about uh, certain people living under certain conditions. Um, so I'm excited. It, it very much stands alongside in passing, I think, mm-hmm. in a very mm-hmm. complimentary mm-hmm. but opposite way, yeah, um, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Stay tuned for more information yeah. on that in the next few months. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's, um, it's actually, important to be. Oh, so go ahead. Go, go ahead. Oh, are you? Are you sure? I was just gonna. Well, no, I was just gonna. Oh, no. Well, I was gonna veer into I, like my question about identity, <laughs> but if you have a different, if, it was like sort of related. But if you have a. No, I was just summing up what Martine was saying about the balance of like fulfilling your personal, you know, project monster, but also like finding the balance of like oh I need to oh, pay my this, bills you know I love this project monster idea I I'm know. just been watching I've, <laughs> I've been uh on a I told Kara this yesterday I've been uh maybe this is gonna this is gonna be recorded so maybe I'd say it maybe I don't say it, but I've been watching Naruto a lot recently uh just what, how, I, sorry, I, needed, I couldn't hear that what have you been watching <laughs> it was purposeful it was I've purposeful watching... to not hear <laughs> Oh, my bad okay, okay never mind uh, no, anyone no, who's okay. like slightly been... into anime it's always like such a like do I say it now do I not say it now is this the environment yeah and I, and I would say I'm definitely a poser when it comes to being into anime but I used to watch I, I'm like in this point where I really like I'm getting off these two big projects and a lot of like commercial work so I, I need like a good palate cleanser mm-hmm. and mm. as much as I want that to be some crazy art house film that's going to change my life and those do come you know about like once or twice a week uh and on a good week um (laughs) the one thing that i'm watching right now because i need something mindless but you know that makes me reminisce about childhood days is naruto uh and a constant theme Mm. about this show is um having this like inner demon that decides you need to either control or like you know like let loose i guess put out into the world let loose or like whatever, or like learn how to use its, its power, right? So that, you know, it's it's fun that you make this metaphor of the personal project monster because that's yeah. like your inner demon that you got to get let out. And it's this power, yeah. this thing that's like driving you that you have no idea why it's even a thing that you really want to do, but you just can't think about anything else. So yeah, yeah. it's very much reminiscent so of that. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely what a project monster is. Personal project monster, I love that. <laughs> We're trademarking it. You've heard Trademark, it. Yeah, put it on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, you don't know Martine. He has a whole list of like shirt ideas and they're amazing. Every single one of them. But please. It's a, this is a clothing line that Kara and I are developing <laughs> and will release sometime in the near future. <laughs> yeah. More on that soon. bad drawings that, that accompany it. Like <laughs> you, Only bad use the discount code imperfect for 10% off. <laughs> I was going to say, can we make this imperfect merch? We should. Yeah. I want to. Yes, we really we want absolutely to. should. We definitely want it. We, we're trying to, um, this is going totally off topic. But when Rebecca and I move back to the U- to the UK to the US, um, we're gonna finalize all of our like small business plans and Ooh. have like a website and stuff. LLC. So that's really exciting. Merch, merch, merch. merch I want to rep my friends. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I hope Rebecca. I really hope it's gonna be like single dollar bills. <laughs> Here's five cents. Here's five cents. 
Here's you another get my sense. And you get sense. You go, Glen Coco. Okay, sorry. Wow, yes. we really do. Okay, that. back on topic. Um, so I was gonna talk about. I know I've had the privilege and pleasure of, of seeing your film, but also in your other work that you've done. You've done music videos, you've done commercials, you've done um, docs, like you've said. I do get a sense that like the theme of identity is quite important to you. And maybe those are parts of the stories that you're telling in different ways. So I was wondering if you could talk about what why you gravitate towards this theme or if it's, you know, something that just interests you and that's it. Or is there, yeah, that's of my question yeah for sure i think um the theme of identity is something that I, I like to explore a lot because it's something that i think either consciously or unconsciously i've had to reckon with for a good chunk of my life mm-hmm. uh in my most recent work it really has to do with this cultural identity this venezuelan uh versus american and i say versus because in a lot of my life the two realities have really been pitted against each other in a different way in different ways mm-hmm. uh you know it's i think it is something that is born out of like being a first generation immigrant as I am, as my parents are um, from Venezuela and then landing in a place as American, as white as Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And yes, that is is as white as it sounds. Don't get me wrong. It is a beautiful place where I learned a lot, had so many opportunities. I'm very thankful for what I had, but it's also a place where I definitely wasn't represented in being Venezuelan. And I wasn't really seen as belonging to this like, uh, homogenous kind of predominantly white upper middle class community. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of balancing here. There's a lot of a lot of times when I remember clashing with my parents because they were like, "Well, you just are not American." So it's like you just can't do those things. Like it's like that. That's just there's a separation here. And at the same time, you know, to to bring in like a fun example uh, of bullying, he, you know, they would call me like Mexican boy because during when I was like 13, I had like a little like bumper, like stash, you know, like as most pubescent boys do, the problem is white boys are like, you know, not real kids and they have like late puberty. Sorry. But yeah. Yeah, Or it's like really bad, um, wispy white, like weasel hair. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) like sticking out. Yeah. It's it's truly like (laughs) just not a good look. (laughs) Puberty is hard. (laughs) But, but yeah, even, even stuff like that, that are just like, you know, things uh, in your body that are outside of your control. And for me, like I'm a tan person, I'm not a white person. And I've had, I've had the privilege of being very white passing, I Mm. guess, uh, or like at least being more ethnically ambiguous. But, you know, with a name like Martin Blanco, you have to tell the teacher how to pronounce your name every time um so yeah it's, it's very much like you're aware of your difference just by existing um and I've, i don't want to say that or pose that as like oh like i just wanted to be venezuelan in an american space or oh i just wanted to be american in a venezuelan space i don't think that that's has actually been a lot of my reckoning is actually like not believing in this binary and instead yeah. sort of trying to find a place that kind of exists in the middle like i i even now when i go back to venezuela i haven't lived there really full-time since I was about nine years old. So I can't, mm-hmm. I, I have also this other reckoning, you know, with my own heritage, my own culture about to what extent am I really Venezuelan? Like I haven't experienced this like massive uh, socioeconomic crisis of the last 10 years. So am I really Venezuelan? And then like, you know, on the opposite end of that, um, I didn't become an American citizen until I was a sophomore in college. So um, it was, there's a little bit of this imposter syndrome of like, hey, like I'm advocating for all these things, but I can't vote. So I can, all I can do is really be here and express my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of different 
fun complexities there um, in, in terms, and I, it brings up not just these questions of identity, but also mm. of allegiance. Um, mm. When you put the two countries like against each other, it's this yeah. question of belonging, like where do you belong to? And what does it mean to not really belong to either of them in a, in a country or in a world that really wants to have you be from somewhere? And like, you know, kind of going along that is this idea of context of, I think identity um, usually gets reduced to ethnicity or mm-hmm. race or, or um, sorry, sexual orientation mm-hmm. uh, or gender. And I think it's, it's, you know, talking a lot more about intersectionality and talking about just like, not just the combination of all these different things and the complexities within that, but also how it's informed by your surroundings of this yeah. very immigrant, very, I guess, like, you know, like, working class kind of attitude of like adapting to survive and so in a way like are you going to be a chameleon and sort of reflect your environment and blend in I guess if you reflect you don't blend in but you know what I mean (laughs) Um, or are you going to just like stand out and be the sore thumb or can you navigate spaces in different ways depending on who you are a fun little performance of self kind of study but yeah yeah, that's that's my whole spiel about identity at least what I can think about right now no, thank you for sharing. And um, you you touched upon a really like a, a few really like important things I think will resonate with a lot of people. And it's unfortunate that you know America is such a, a melting pot of so many cultures, but we like to put people in boxes and only say you're this thing, mm-hmm. and you can't. It's like you can't be more than one thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're just this one so thing. It, yeah. No, I and that's what's funny about, you know, maybe we just, and, and this is not to call you out at all. Um, I just think language as a, as a writer and as an artist language, and as a person who's, first of all, English just wasn't my first language. Uh, and now I speak it better than Spanish, but I think language is so important and deconstructing language is really important. And yeah. the idea of a melting pot, I think is like an absolute fallacy um, mm-hmm. just because this country, I mean, to exactly what you're talking about, right? It's like, how can you have a melting pot when it's like, an ice tray, right? Everybody's yeah, falling exactly. into the thing. It's like nobody's a part of a single thing. So, so is it? it, it I think I think that is part of it. Is calling that out and that yeah. being an immigrant in America or being just a non-white person in America means just like you are immediately have to face your difference, mm-hmm. um, or at least the way that people will perceive you as different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing for a lot of people. That means that, you know, they're oppressed in multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be empowering. And I mean, I, I like mm-hmm. being different. I, I think that's empowering. I think it's Rebecca and I, where we're from in, in New England, I had this teacher tell me this instance once, and I kind of never really forgot about it. And he was saying that he had a student who was born in Russia, his family then moved to America. And he had noticed, I guess they had lived in different parts of America or he had gone off to college and come back and visited the teacher. I, I don't remember the context of that part of the story, but basically the point is that everywhere else you go in America, people are American, except for in New England, where people in around New York, where people like to really let you know that they are Irish, American, Italian, American, German, American, Mexican, American, whatever, American. And I thought that was so interesting, like, <laughs> because... If you're not a native people to the United States, then you are from somewhere else, point. <laughs> you know, fact. And and at least where Rebecca and I are from, it's just we have a very, Isles Island is right there. So it's more, in, it's more recent history for most people, unless they came over and, you know, way back when, like 1600, which isn't even way back when <laughs> in the terms of history. So it's just like a, 
Exactly. Even but then people forget it too, to, you know, and and they yeah. want to still isolate others. It's just it's a very it's a conundrum. But it, it's it comes down to the fact that like we are obsessed with labels and we are obsessed with putting people in boxes and it's okay to be different. It's empowering to be different, like you said, Martine. And I just, it's not even different. Like, what does different even mean? Good. What is different? Yeah, I was going to get yeah. into that. I was going to say, like, different is just, like, acknowledging a standard, right? Or acknowledging mm-hmm. a default. Um, so if we don't acknowledge the different, yeah, I was going to say, if we don't acknowledge a difference, then we don't have to acknowledge a default either. But, you know, obviously, yep. society works in a lot of different ways that does have an unspoken default or pretty spoken, you know, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty spoken, spoken. But, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's working to the point where there is no majority. There's just complexity. Yeah. So hopefully we can, we can reach that at some point. Yeah. I think it's really well put. Oh, you said that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not like leading. No, <laughs> no. Oh my God. No, no, no. no. It is so important to have these conversations. Podcast, like fully admitting Rebecca and I are two white women. Like we want this podcast to be just, we have so many friends who we love so dearly from all over, like any kind of spectrum from around the world, like that you can imagine. And we want to showcase and push forward that work that all our amazing friends are making you know that's like the whole point of this show <laughs> so because our art is so interconnected with yeah. our identity and who we are and yeah. we can't talk about one without talking about the other yeah. mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's wanna... exactly the right thing to say for the show <laughs> so and we hope that it. this is a space like we hope that we create a space where you can express that and you don't feel like you can't express that so yeah absolutely good 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 Absolutely. Um, absolutely, it came back. <laughs> it comes back. I say it all the time. Is one of my I favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I wrote this question. My question really, and I knew what your answer was going to be, and it was just to be like, "Does gear matter?" <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> Into oh, like great, a whole other direction. Does gear matter? Um, I think we should wait. Let me just like set up that question a little bit. So, so I. Yeah, I was going to say. When you are, if um, you know, in, definitely in certain filmmaking circles, and I'm imagining in other art circles and craft circles as well, I think there's a lot of pressure to have like certain types of equipment in order to do that art that you're trying to do. And as we all know, in film, film has film has a high has a high level of entry, like a barrier because of how competitive it is. But a lot also with like the gear that we're just working with is so freaking expensive. And you think of like, you know, great directors and cinematographers that are very popular right now, like Roger Deakins, who literally can just go to Ari, which is one of the, or Panavision, which is like one of the biggest renters, rental houses and creator of equipment in the world and be like, oh, can you make me this like custom camera? And they will just do it for, but that's Roger Deakins, <laughs> you know, it can't, it's only going to be for Roger Deakins that they're going to make it. So that's where my question kind of comes from. Does gear matter? Okay. That, that's it's a, a lot to unpack yeah. um, because, <laughs> Do we have another hour <laughs> uh, because it's like for a starting filmmaker I would say no gear does mm-hmm. not matter I would mm-hmm. say if you're just starting off and what you want to do is make movies grab your phone and just start making movies that way like I said I used to work like I think it, it's, it's more like what are you trying to learn or like you know I think being realistic about what stage of your filmmaker knowledge you are at Mm-hmm. If you're really just trying to start out and learn more, 
I, I personally, unless I'm, unless you're trying to be a cinematographer, I'm not of the belief that you need to go out and buy a DSLR and do all these other things. Like you can literally shoot something on your phone and edit it on your phone and then have it up to YouTube within two hours of whatever you shoot, even last time. So if like you're, what you're really trying to learn is what shots go together after another, how to make a sequence, how to tell a visual story, you in, in a very beginner bare bones level, you don't really need expensive gear. But then, you know, that question gets more complex. Um, so to answer it, I like a person who is like a full fledged, maybe like in the, like at a, you know, has just graduated art school is looking with considering whether you need to buy a camera or not, if that's like the best choice for them. Again, is the question, are you trying to be a cinematographer? Mm -hmm. Because if you are trying to be a cinematographer, I'd say, yeah, having gear definitely matters. And, you know, you're much more in demand if you come with a like a camera or some other piece of gear that you can offer to that production that you're going to be hired for and just being realistic unfortunately is the way of the game we can get into elitism and within the film industry which is very real Um, real. and the name of the game is if you have an in-demand camera like an alexa mini even if you have no experience as a dp you're probably going to get hired because you have that amazing asset that you come with and you're going to give the people who want to hire you a deal and if you're just starting off you're going to make a deal no matter what because you need shit to shoot (laughs) like you need stuff for your portfolio so if you're trying to be a dp i'd say um gear matters if you're trying to be a director though don't buy anything because that makes no sense for you and what you should really (laughs) be thinking about is what does the medium feel like um what you should be thinking about is what is my story and you know, would it look like, would it feel right if it was shot in like a large format Alexa Mini LF? Would it feel right if it was shot on 16 millimeter? Would it feel right if I shot this on an iPhone? Would it feel right if I shot this even on like a, I don't know, like an old Nokia phone that just mm-hmm. looks really scrunchied up and whatnot? It really is less about the technical and much more about what is this doing thematically, emotionally, viscerally. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. When I think about it as a director, um, rather than as a cinematographer. And even then, as a cinematographer, you know, there's different things you want to explore. So I think gear doesn't matter as long as you're thinking about your story and mm-hmm. the medium that is going to give it life the best way. So then I'm thinking about like photography and your photography work. And I know that you had one camera for a really long time before you finally switched over to another camera. Can you talk a little bit about that and your decision process behind doing that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, to be honest, the switch wasn't really a switch. It was okay. it's, it's a camera by the same make, uh, okay. probably like the next model down. So oh. uh, but I can talk about I can talk about kind of the relationship to, to a camera and kind of getting used to it yeah, and specifically yeah, why a film is is important to me. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah. You know, uh, shooting uh, stills film is a lot cheaper than shooting motion picture film because, you know, when you're talking about motion picture film, you're talking about hundreds of feet of film that you not only have to shoot and develop, um, but you also, yeah, you also have to pay for both the emulsion itself and the developing. And that can just get really, really expensive. To give some context, Martina and I, the the project, we shot, redacted (laughs) six rolls of Super 8 um uh, and 50 it, feet each one, yeah. yeah and it cost everything together it cost like six hundred dollars so just to well and that's just the super eight that we shot we yeah, shot right. also a bunch of different kinds of films as right well. but like and then i think the other film was only like a hundred dollars to get like six roles developed for that or something like that so yeah and the disclaimer too is super eight is the cheapest kind of exactly <laughs> 
Exactly. Um, once you start shooting the next tier up, which is probably the most popular 16 millimeter in an yeah. indie level, then it, it becomes something along the lines of like two, 200 dot. No, it's like yeah. 250 for a roll of 400 feet. And yeah. then to develop that, it's like another $400. Yeah. So it quickly becomes like $600, just like a single roll of roll. like what, like, yeah, like seven minutes. Yes. No, less maybe. I think it's, um, yeah, whatever it is, but yeah, just, just for context. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. For sure. But yeah, in terms of shooting uh, stills film though, I think it, it has to do a lot with this other idea of, uh, other thematic idea that I really enjoy um, that kind of goes along with identity and its memory mm. um mm. Well, like i really like exploring the relationship between identity memory and context which is the person who we think we are the person who our past has made us and the person that our surrounding has made us right mm. um so so it's this kind of triangle where things are, are sort of interacting and where i think that really exists in the process of uh shooting analog film is that you don't get to see whatever it is you're shooting until mm -hmm. you know later in the day minimum you know you ha at least have to be done shooting with the role in order to be able to then take it through a development process and then be actually able to see it realized and by the time it, that does happen it's not instantaneous so you you have this space uh between when you capture it and when you see it that creates that feeling for me at least of a memory already kind of mm -hmm. taking form and when you think about context, kind of that relationship in that is like the vantage point that you had in the capturing of that moment. So, so that's what I think what's really exciting for me is, is my, my relationship with 35 millimeter film is very similar to my relationship with filmmaking and that there's mm -hmm. different moments in which I'm coming back to this thing. And each time I'm coming back to it, it's got a new meaning or new layer, or I'm seeing it with fresh eyes just because I can't see, you know, the original yeah. thing that it is that I made. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> good. Cool. good. That's that's like it's going right over my head. I'm just like, uh, yes. <laughs> so Analog. That, that is. That is. No, the, that is not boring me. It's just like I like. Can I just? I feel like I will never fully understand what goes into. Well, if we want to talk analog, can you talk analog synths? You know, we want to talk analog music. Um, we could. But yeah, I mean, that's not my forte, but that's something that I've been getting into. The last let me just like, like ramble on about months. like analog for. Let's talk about different wave size, wave, yeah, wave shapes and sizes. <laughs> exactly. Out, no, guys. let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Did that answer your question? I don't really even know what the original question was or why. It got I think it does. Started. I think it does. I think it's, it's interesting important. to hear it, yeah. what like why you might gravitate towards film and like how that plays into this other idea that you're trying to explore, which is identity and how that relates back to, I mean, memory, which then relates back to identity and how they're intermingled. And I think, I mean, all I can say is if you haven't looked at Martine's work, just go look at his Instagram right now, go check out his website and, and you'll, I think it will be like a great companion to like seeing what he's talking about i think it's so cool i think that's what's really cool about having someone like you on the show is because people can actually go and look and see your work and listen to what you're saying and it, it's it's nice i think that's really awesome and what's amazing yeah, is that your work even when it's not for that personal project monster like I, from seeing kara's work the project mm -hmm. you're both which is also work, a project obviously. monster i just draw i just like drag my project team down personal project monster <laughs> But it's not, it's not, it's for, you're doing it for it's someone else's vision. You know, you're, those stills that Kara shared with me are like insane. I was blown away. I was like, Thank this, you. this is not real life. Like, because <laughs> I know Kara, obviously I was like, this is Kara. This is so much Kara, but 
it's also you and it's so cool and i don't know if i'm making sense to anyone right now <laughs> no, you're making sense <laughs> to me you're speaking my language i'm at least making um, sense to you too i hope but like to everyone listening yeah. they're like what <laughs> well maybe we can break it down a little bit i think there's this misconception that a director is a film or even like a mm -hmm. cinematographer is a film or like, mm -hmm. you know, it's at least stuck in, in something like filmmaking that is so collaborative and it can really be shaped by so many different things. Ultimately, a film is a combination of different people's tastes and how those tastes are aligning under a creative guidance, a vision, if you will, that is led by a director. I think as a director, every single thing that you do, even the things that you don't do are a choice. So yeah. when you bring someone into a film, you're especially somebody like a cinematographer or somebody like in a sound designer or a mm -hmm. composer, you're not just bringing them because you know they're talented or that you know you just need to fill a box. You're bringing them because there's something about their taste, the way that they execute their work, their process that is really aggregating or, or, or coming together to this larger piece that you guys are making. So yeah, I think it, I think it's like about understanding like the, it's it's almost like shopping almost like when you're shopping <laughs> yeah. for people's skill sets and perspectives and 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 tastes yeah. rather than than like you know something like a piece of of, of I don't know like yeah. a pop or something. It's so easy to take it personally when you don't get a project, but at this point mm -hmm. where we are, it's not about your talent or no, your right, skill correct. level. I mean, we're all talented and we all have incredible skills. Um, not to sound arrogant, sorry. Uh, no, but, <laughs> but, I mean, she's graduated right. from the have... Royal Academy of Music. Stop it. I just, I just, oh I, my, I, I like, can't believe you just, you just got my school wrong. I, I know, I, can't, I know, I said that, and I was like, okay, that's so wrong. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a graduate, <laughs> you're a graduate of the Royal College of Music, the Royal College, sorry, Thank RCM. You. Um, sorry, I just, I like to, I like no, to No, but it know. doesn't come down to skill anymore, talent, it comes down to who fits the project the best. Right, right, right. And you, the vision has to be there and the, you know, willingness to collaborate has to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what it comes down to really. It's But it's, it's very easy yeah. to take it personally sometimes. Um, I just got this question from somebody. Speak? Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, that's okay. I was just gonna dive deeper into it, but if we're ready to move on, we're ready to move on. Uh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. I meant that's like, like I what I had to say. <laughs> What I had to say wasn't that important, but it's okay. I feel like I just killed a thought monster. And it's just like dying really slow. Way death. to go, Kara. Okay. Uh, no, it's okay. I was no, just going to say did. that Stop where, it, where this comes alive a lot in the filmmaking process um, is through casting. Mm. Uh, because, mm -hmm. because I think when you reach a certain point, like, like I said, one is like, as a director, you have to have a certain taste of what is good acting and what is yeah. not good acting. Yeah. And once you have that taste, the people who you're inviting the cast, you're not really inviting them because you're trying to test their acting skills. You're inviting them to see like, are you the character? What do you bring to this person? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, so it's less about like what you're saying, Rebecca, is like less about the skill set and more about who are you and, and how do you see things? Yeah. How do you like fill Absolutely. out that position or that role for that specific character? Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about collaboration and sorry, talking a little bit about collaboration. And I was just talking to someone who's a little bit younger who just graduated from a university. And they were asking me about what do you do when you are working with someone who you know, you're not like vibing with or who you're not 
you know that there's either tension or you just don't agree. And I thought that was such an interesting question. And, and I thought, you know, maybe I could pose that to you and, and get your thoughts on it as sort of like a, yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> just interested. Yeah. Um, I think it depends <laughs> on the context. Um, mm-hmm. If you are doing it for your personal project, stop working with that person. Don't work with anybody <laughs> you don't vibe with because that yeah. is your baby. Um, yeah. You're putting your time, energy, resources into it. Uh, you want people who you're going to be on set because you're going to inevitably have a breakdown. You want somebody yeah. who's going to empower you, not make things more difficult for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have been in situations on set where people who, you know, even people who I thought I vibed in advance, you know, set is kind of a whole beast. So yeah. you, you, it, it pushes you people to a certain edges that you see different characters out of people and you have to, in a way, be uh be willing to go through the traumatic experience of making a movie with yep. the group of people who you know are going to support you rather than be like I'm wasting my time I shouldn't be here yeah, um, so I would say if it's your personal project fuck that person get them out of there you don't yeah. need them uh, if it's a commercial project mm-hmm. and you have no choice then I would say find your ground find mm-hmm. the thing that is made you want to be a part of this project in the first place and you can be as honest with yourself as I need the money like mm-hmm, if it's mm-hmm. if you need the money then shut up and do the work and get the money and get out and then you know if you never see that person again great but um <laughs> if you are doing it because there's a deeper reason maybe you want to learn some skills you want to meet other people you want to prove yourself in xyz different kind of ways then I'd say find that common ground that thing that that is rooting you to the project and, mm-hmm. and really hold on to that mm-hmm. Really good advice. I think that's great advice. I'll pose a question to you that I also posed to Abba, who was a guest a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Just because you shared this uh, skill set. Ooh, shout out Abba. 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 We love Abba. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be slightly different, but it's the same question. What has like your photography, in- how has that informed your directing and your cinematography? How has your directing influenced your cinematography and your photography? How has your cinematography influenced your directing and your photography? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'd be wondering... Yeah, exactly. All the well, layers. Like a triangle. Yeah. I want a fun, want a fun <laughs> infographic that like builds as you're like talking about it. Gosh, but yeah, that's that's like a massive question. So I'm trying to figure out how I go about oh. answering it. Um, well, I'll, I'll just start more just like kind of like, because I think, I don't think it's ever as clear cut. Like sure. I'm taking a, a very concrete analyzed skill that I have separated from myself and brought it into another right, medium. Right. I don't think I've ever been that direct about it. Yeah. Um, but I think I think uh, what photography has taught me that I t- like to carry on to things is to be much more intentional about mm-hmm. what exists, not only in your frame, but also the f- way that you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you looking up? Or are you looking down? Left, right? Is it, you know, a wide shot? Is it a medium shot? What is like, what are you choosing to expose for? Like, what's going to be the brightest thing? What's going to be the darkest thing? So in a very fundamental sense, it's like, it's about the quality of the thing, where are you looking at it from? And then what the thing even is in the first place. Right. Um, and I think what the thing even is in the first place is much more influenced by my directing uh, mm-hmm. than it is about mm-hmm. photography or at least just things that you inherently find interesting. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who I find really mundane but odd things interesting. So I think that carries on into directing into my film work in that I like focusing on little details of things, whether it's like somebody's outfit or the way, you know, something moves in the wind or yeah. the way uh, the texture of a waterfall to the site yeah, redacted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it, it, there's a, there's a lot of, of different 
things that I guess feed into each other. And there was one other component. Oh, you're talking about cinematography mm-hmm. to directing. The relationship, the relationship between cinematography and directing is interesting because it's actually like an evolution of photography, but now you're thinking about motion and depth. Yeah, and yeah. not. I think where my directing comes in there is that coming from a photography background or not really background, but just like a practice, it's a lot easier for me to do a very stacked I guess like just very locked off frame that is just like Mm -hmm. traditionally like I guess pretty or beautiful or like just things fit where they need to fit and composition I'd say yeah composition is easy for me um where I want to put directing into that is understanding what happens inside of the shot and how is that shot morphing um as the scene or the moment is unfolding um moving forward I'm kind of less interested in scenes or moments that just are very driven by cuts driven by editing and I'm much more interested in things that are that have to do a lot more with synchronicity and the lining up of this camera with the acting and with the thing that's happening in the scene so whether that means a shot that's just moving and constantly evolving or even still like a static frame where things are moving up and down Mm -hmm. you know in different sections of the frame um I think that that is the relationship of that I want to take forward between directing and cinematography, perhaps much more of like a choreography uh, between the camera and the, and the talent. A little dance, yeah. A little dance. Well, cool, awesome. I think Love that. that's- There's so many good yeah. things in this episode that people <laughs> are gonna like be like, I'm learning so much. Like you are I hope. full of wisdom. Hell yeah. Yeah, this is the reason uh, I keep yeah. around as my, you know, this is the reason I keep calling him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I just hope I don't, I, I tend to talk into like people into being like, I don't know what to say to that. So I just hope <laughs> that, you know, if people. I talk people myself into saying that. Yeah. It's just like if people do hear it and they're like, yeah, I have more questions. Hey, reach out. I'm a friendly person. I'm on, I'm on the net. I'm the Guaranteed. Media, yeah. And the many media, nets so. as we refer to Transitioning to that. Yeah. Not as many no. nets. <laughs> oh, oh little, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Do a little like a sign-off thing. Well, thank you so much oh, for cool. being well, on the show, Martine. Yeah, it was such a pleasure chatting <laughs> with you, as always. For Seriously, sure. Thank you guys so, so much, both of you, for you know having me and and creating the space, not just for myself, but to other friends and fellow artists who've had the opportunity to be here and share their viewpoint so it's really exciting to yeah. to see you doing this and i hope we flourish beautifully and merch oh, please merch. Merch, merch 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 want to wrap yeah. my friends maybe <laughs> if you can just sign off for us and tell us your name again what you do where you're from and where we can find you on all things social that would be great absolutely yeah um my name once again for those who are missed it in the beginning or maybe joining us for the last minute of this thing why are you doing that go listen to it from the beginning uh <laughs> my name is martin blanco um i'm originally from maracaibo venezuela currently based in minneapolis minnesota uh but also in new york city i am a director cinematographer photographer creative director uh visual boy you can call me visual boy um <laughs> and um uh, or as somebody called me recently uh told care of this yesterday screen boy forever so there you go um, <laughs> there we go <laughs> there you go and the last bit is where you can you find me and my work um i post a lot of photos all the time on instagram so that's martine underscore a underscore blanco um and then um, if you want to watch some of my film work, uh, the film that we're talking about in passing is actually going to be playing at a film festival soon in San Antonio. Unfortunately, I'm actually remembering that 
this one is an in-person film festival. Thank you yeah. uh, for those of us who've gotten vaccinated. So if you are in San Antonio, go see it and let me know what you think. Um, and it'll be online very soon. Yeah, so keep posted because we'll also post about it when, when it well, is Yeah, available. we'll also share. Yeah. Amazing, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So oh, what's your website? What's your website? Oh, your oh, website. My website is martineblancofilms.com. Awesome. And we'll have all of that linked in our description. And stuff. It's a beautiful website. <laughs> Everything thank about you. your work and your online presence is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I will say I'll, I'm only going to plug that. Just please look at it on your computer, not your phone, because uh, <laughs> Squarespace is mean to me and doesn't allow me to edit the site for the phone. Yeah, so. that's like me saying like please listen to my piece of music with like beats earphones the best quality because well yeah well, it's just, you know i was just, you I, just I'll, I'll pull a i'll pull a christopher nolan joke do it how it was intended to be viewed yeah not on your yes. smartwatch <laughs> oh, exactly. god. oh my god that's so painful that is so, how can you even see anything on there like oh my god i am livid <laughs> don't do that you you deserve better it's not just that the creators deserve better you deserve better you, you as a viewer I can't just yeah your eyes just deserve like, better yeah. it's like your eyes you will lose your eyesight if you're trying to look at someone you're watching don't do well, it thank Another you wise. also we we make we make movies but go outside read a book yeah you got right <laughs> exactly. words are important language is music, important not in front of like not looking at your phone just put in your headphones walk around see the world be vaccinated, see the world, <laughs> or wear a mask. Throw down. Throw We're down. just giving like life tips right now. It's great. <laughs> Go outside, get off the like internet, kids. <laughs> Go play in the dirt. Yep, yep. Oh, cool. Well, thank you, Martina. I hope I, hope, <laughs> I had you fun. So I hope you had fun. I'm so glad we I, finally I got to do this <laughs> after. So. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 been a long time coming, so I'm super yeah. happy to be here, and yeah. I hope people really enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, Martine, for featuring on the show. It was so great to have you on and just to discuss your work with you. And I hope that everyone listening goes over to Martine's socials or his website to go check out his work because it is truly inspiring and so unique and so Martine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can just remember being, we, we met when we were in our second semester of our third year in college and then after like that whole summer we were both preparing to be in the same thesis class to make our thesis films and I remember that whole summer I was like every time he posted a picture I was like man I want Martine to do my to to DP my film like I want to work with Martine like man you know and I just didn't have the courage for the longest time uh and it was it was I I don't know I I think it was like the circumstances around us asking each other to work on each other's films it was like it came together really quickly and I'm glad that yeah. happened. So that's really great yeah. how that came together. And watch out for redacted. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, watch out for redacted. I will actually be including a still from the film that is now called Redacted. Uh, <laughs> I won't say which one it is. You'll have to guess. But uh, you can find that on our Instagram at the podcast imperfect. You can also send us a DM there if you are interested in being a future artist. Or you can send us an email at the podcastimperfect at gmail.com. I almost forgot what it was. I was like, wait, what is it? <laughs> um, you can follow me at Quiet Open Space on Instagram. And you can follow me at Rebecca Nisco Music. 
And Martine's socials are all linked below. What was the shirt name? What was the... Did we have a fun Oh, shirt? yeah. Go out and have your little project monster. Oh, Fend, yeah. Work with your little project monster. Yes. Feed the project monster. Feed the project monster. Groom <laughs> the project monster. Groom it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, Let it, it go free. out and play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>